Welcome back to Finchrepreneur. You've got Dave and Eli here from Merchant Growth and Tabit. And today we're joined by Kato Pastel from Loop. Great to have you. We've been friends for a while. It's nice to finally get to do something like this and get to know each other a bit better. So as we often do with uh, our podcast episodes, we start with the guest background. So tell us a bit about yourself, uh, your career path, and what led you to founding this business. For sure. No, first of all, thanks for having me on. I'm excited to be here. I'm sure it's going to be a, a fun conversation. Happy we're doing this after after all these years. So uh, yeah, my, my background probably is relevant starting back all the way from, from childhood. I grew up son of a couple of entrepreneurs with my mom and, and dad ran their own businesses. So I grew up working in their family businesses. I used to work as a wait staff. I used to work in the kitchen. Uh, my mom ran a catering business. So, you know, a lot of my childhood was consumed by that. Yeah, as I kind of got a little bit older, I was into finance and, and technology, you know, into computers, building computers, playing around, all that type of stuff. So I kind of got a little bit more involved in the financial side of her business, which I think I can I can probably credit to why I'm working or I've been working for 10 years now in like the financial technology space. Formally or professionally, um, you know, my first kind of career stint was in technology consulting, worked with some large financial institutions during that period of time. And I think what that really opened my eyes to is how inefficient a lot of the ways that traditional financial institutions do things are, you know, if this was kind of in the late 2000s, early 2010s period, and seeing the way that you know bank systems operated even even at that period of time was was quite backward. So it was very eye opening to see you know where the world was technology wise versus the way that banks operated. And I think that illuminated what I would then come to appreciate over the kind of following years, which is why small businesses like my parents were so underserviced by their traditional banks. So that's kind of you know a little bit about my my upbringing and, and kind of why. I have a passion for supporting and helping entrepreneurs just because kind of the space I've been in my entire life. What was the most shocking thing you saw in the traditional banks that you consulted with that really clearly like energized you to get into fintech? The story I like to tell the most actually is worked on a project for a bank. I can't say who they are, but um, what we did is we actually used basically their own uh, GUI, like their own user interface to scrape their own data out of their own banking system. So like this is a bank, they have a database, like a COBOL-based database where you know, they've got all their financial transactional records. And instead of just being able to go and query those records through a normal database query, like a SQL query, which is kind of what anyone would expect a bank would do, they actually, you know, had this user interface that, you know, went through layers upon layers to be able to access that database. And it was so expensive for them to build technology to actually query the database directly that they ended up building their own scraping tool through the company I was working with to basically get access to their own data. So, I mean, like that to me was like one of the the craziest things I'd ever seen because this is a company that basically cannot leverage or access its own information to service its own customers, which was, yeah, definitely one of the more crazy things that I saw uh, during that period of time. Yeah, you got these old foundations and then you're just adding more and more spaghetti code and duct tape, just trying to keep the whole thing running, hey? Yeah, it's wild. <laughs> and it hasn't changed. Like, you know, we're in 2023 now, and it's still built on the same foundations, just with more spaghetti and, and glue on top of it. So there's a lot of opportunity, right, to, to make better services for business owners. And Kara, out of interest, did you mostly help these banks in Canada or Canada and the U.S.? And was there major differences in the two? Both, but mostly the U.S. actually, but no major differences actually. No, so like I, I do like the 
infrastructure, at least at that level, at like more of a foundational infrastructure level, it's quite similar between Canada and, and the United States. I mean, even like our, our payment files and payment systems are kind of built off very similar standards. So yeah, a lot of that kind of stuff underneath is actually quite similar between Canada and the US. Where it does start to get a little bit different is things around like regulation and products and services, which is kind of like the top layer. But when you're dealing with kind of core mainframes of these organizations, like they're actually quite similar. Talk to us about getting the idea to start this business. How'd that come yeah. about? Well, as you know, um, originally we started out in the lending business. That's how we we gotten to know each other over the last few years. And so one of the key pain points that we understood, or I'd say, you know, I personally understood from like my upbringing is that like a lot of small business owners have great businesses, have put blood, sweat and tears into building those businesses, but really struggle when it comes to access to capital and financing. So the kind of first entry point for me in kind of starting a business in the space was trying to figure out a better way to get small businesses to be able to access capital and access financing. I'm sure that story you can probably share, share your own perspective on as well. Where our story went over the time kind of having launched that business and run it is you know, we were very product and, and technology centric. We were really focused on like how do we build solutions for these customers to be able to manage more aspects of their business than purely just access to, to capital or financing. Like what are the things that they struggle with on a day-to-day basis? And the reason that we wanted to do that or focus on that particular aspect of the of companies is that we felt that there is a lot of gaps in the ways that companies interact with their financial providers. We would hear stories, for example, of people uh, you know, that are customers, like getting checks and literally having to walk into a bank branch to deposit those checks or having to go into a bank branch to like send a wire transfer to a vendor that they're trying to pay. So like basic things like this, like you're just trying to get paid or make a payment, it should be able to be done in a digital interface. But these companies struggled with you know, actually being able to just do simple things like that. We also hear a lot about like pain points and friction with respect to cross-border financial services, and I'll get into that a bit more. But like that's one of the big pain points that would recurringly come up as a theme when we were talking to companies and business owners is, I'm a Canadian business, I'm trying to do business in the US and, and trying to get paid. There's no simple way for me to do this, which again is ironic because... Canadian bank, a lot of the Canadian banks actually have U.S. subsidiaries, but there's no relationship between that Canadian bank and that Canadian bank U.S. subsidiary. They're effectively two separate organizations. So just being able to get paid in the U.S., for example, repatriate those U.S. dollars back into Canada. You know, I heard stories of people having to drive down to Buffalo, for example, to open up a bank account. And um, even more crazy than that, this was kind of during the pandemic. I'd hear stories about companies being told by their you know, bank relationship manager, oh, the only way to get this account is actually to, to go across the border. And at the time, the borders were shut. So there was actually no way for them to go across the border. But that's, that's what they were being told is the only way for them to get you know, access to their money in the U.S. So cra- crazy things like that made us realize that there is a lot of pain points that exist that can and should be solved by technology. And that's where you know we decided to really focus and invest our time and energy in building products and solutions to help companies that are doing business around the world and want you know a more modern way of doing that. So Kato, how, how did you guys solve that then? Was the reasoning for the US-Canada trouble more of a regulation thing or was it a technology thing or you know what did you solve? It's very much a technology thing. So I'll give you like some examples of like, technology and product that has led to like inefficient uh, or inferior financial services in the market today. So one of the main things that loop 
kind of helps companies solve for is the ability to both get paid and make payments in other countries in the world as they do business internationally. So going with this U.S. example, you know, we also support the U.K. and EU, but, but focusing on the U.S., I have a customer in the U.S., right? I'm selling to like Walmart or Costco or Target, and they want to pay me money, right? So I'm going through some type of system of getting paid by this customer. Right now, that vendor or that person I'm doing business with is going to ask you for like an account number and a routing number, which is like a local U.S. account. Basically, it's our equivalent of account number and transit number for those that are that are Canadian. And with a Canadian bank, you obviously don't have access to that banking information. So what ends up happening is like I've got kind of three options. One, I set up a U.S. bank account. That one is probably not possible for a small business. Two, I have to basically have a relationship with a service provider in the U.S. who's going to collect payment on my behalf. They're probably going to cost a, charge me a lot of money to collect that payment on my behalf. Or three, I ask my customer to send a cross-border transfer, and the bank adds about a 3 to 5% foreign exchange charge on top of that. So basically what happens to simplify all of that is I'm trying to collect money in the market. The only way to get paid is I have to pay a lot in fees effectively because that's the current setup. Now, that, that, that actually issue compounds because if I'm getting paid in the U.S., I probably also have vendors in the U.S., suppliers in the U.S., maybe contractors in the U.S. that I'm doing business with. So I also have U.S. dollar expenses. So if I've now moved that money from the U.S. back to Canada and paid 3 to 5% on it, I now have to take that money and again, send it from Canada back into the US. And again, that's a cross-border transaction. It might happen on a credit card. It might happen through a wire payment. And on average, um, you know, a credit card, uh, maybe we don't know this, charges a 5.7% foreign exchange fee on a cross-border transaction. So if you use a credit card to spend in US dollars, you lose 5.7% on average of that purchase amount. So wow. effectively, you know, you've earned a dollar of revenue and you've lost call it four percent of it on the way of earning the revenue, and then you've lost another, you know, five, six percent of it on the way in. So you've just lost ten percent of your revenue purely because of inefficiencies in the way that you've got your banking set up. And so that's really like the core of the problem that we look to solve is how do we help companies get access to local or domestic banking services in other markets so that they can do business in those markets more easily. Backing up a bit to kind of continue on the chronological story, yeah. just talk about the initial, you know, lending business, and then what did you see that that made you kind of realize this is a pain point that either, you know, I guess maybe you thought this is something that you're better suited to solve, or it's a bigger pain point. Like, what led to that decision to make that pivot, and then maybe just describe the product, you know, which you sort of did just now, but and maybe a bit more clarity. I'd say really it was informed by a lot of conversations with customers. So we would talk to customers regularly and ask them what their pain points were. And nobody says, you know, explicitly, oh, cross-border banking is my pain point. But they would bring up these issues like, I just have to go into my bank to send a wire transfer or like, I'm having a hard time getting paid from a customer. One time I went into a customer's offices and I saw like a massive stack of checks like this high on their desk. And I said, like, why do you have a massive stack of checks on your desk? Right. Like, you know, this is like in the modern times, do you think that there's you know, digital payment? And they would basically their answer to that was, well, these are actually U.S. checks that I'm getting from my customers in the U.S. And my bank is only open for U.S. check deposits on Monday. So I have to wait to, till Monday because that's the only day that I'll deposit a U.S. check into my account. So like crazy things like that that we would hear regularly informed the direction. 
I guess answering your question on like why we decided to pivot, I think we felt that we had always felt had the belief that for us to provide real value to our customers, we wanted to simplify their life. And in many cases, what we had originally done felt like we were one of many different service providers. We provided one part of the value, but there were still a lot of things that they were having to build that patchwork of solutions, that, that kind of spaghetti and glue type solution to. And so strategically, our goal was how do we always, like, you know, we've always been thinking about how do we take what we're doing right now and transform it into something that is actually foundational that a company can use on an everyday basis and rely on us to help them manage their business, to simplify their operations. So going all the way back to the beginning of my story, like the things I would do, you know, for my mom's business from like a finance or accounting perspective, I didn't have to do because my financial partner would take care of it. And that was like, that was the original vision. I think the path, we did what changed was probably our path to how we were going to get to that vision over time. And then answer your question around like, what does Loop actually offer? Like, what do we do? Essentially, the simplest way to explain it is we offer international banking solutions for small and medium-sized companies. So businesses that are based in Canada, but want to bank in the US, Europe, or the UK can use Loop to do revenue collection in those markets, make payments to their customers in their markets. We offer products like credit cards as well so that they can actually make purchases domestically in those currencies without FX fees. So that's a really unique product. We were actually the first company to launch a multi-currency credit card in, in the Canadian market so that companies can actually spend and repay in other currencies, which gives them like a natural hedging to their business because they own in US dollars and they spend in US dollars. It's not US to Canada, Canada to US. Basically, what we've built is a variety of different solutions to help companies operate in the, in the markets they actually do business in. And that's specifically for Canadian businesses operating internationally? Today it is, yeah. I mean, we definitely have aspirations to solve this problem for companies based in other markets. Like it, this problem exists for companies in other markets, but right now we focus on companies that are based in Canada that that want to do business around the world. But you know, it's definitely on our roadmap to to go beyond that. And what's behind all of that? You know, without disclosing exactly how you built it all in your secret sauce, but in order to offer what you offer, uh, I imagine for a bit of complexity in the background. Maybe speak to a bit of that or as much as you're comfortable speaking to. For sure. No, I'm happy to be transparent about it. I mean, b- basically, what we've done is we've partnered with financial institutions and service providers. So what we've actually done is kind of a lot of like gluing systems together. But what that enables us to provide to the customer is something that looks like magic, right? So we sometimes might have to build that, do that heavy lifting of building like a way to easily move money from the US to Canada or move money from Canada to China so people can make supplier payments. So there is some ugly stuff in the background that we've had to build to actually make this all work together. But that's okay because from a customer perspective, what they see is they click a button and their money goes where they want it to go. There's no headaches. They're going into bank branches. They're not having to like trace the payment and wait and trust that it's going to go where it needs to go. With our product, it really is intended to make that experience seamless from a customer perspective. But what we've had to do to enable that is basically, you know, form relationships with people in local markets. So we've had to go find partners in the U.S. that are willing to enable Canadian customers to do this in the U.S. so that we can actually make this happen, right? So there's a lot of, I guess, partners and solutions in the background that we've kind of partnered with, built services around to make all, the whole experience work. And from a business model standpoint, your revenue model is... Primarily transaction fees. Uh, also, folks will carry some balances and, and you'll earn some interest income. Like, what's kind of the business model and 
and roughly how how you know how's that split up? So basically, we offer like what's conventionally described as a freemium service. So we have a free model where you can actually use Loop for free. You can get a free account, free credit cards. So you can kind of use our foreign exchange or international payments, international AR, all for free through our platform. For those services, they will come with certain levels of transaction fees. Even on our free tier, our transaction fees are still 80% cheaper than financial institutions. So just like using foreign exchange as an example, on average, a bank charges an FX transaction about 2.5%. We charge 0.5% on our free tier for foreign exchange. So that's basically, you know, we're making money off the foreign exchange trade, but at a level that's much lower than what a, what a traditional bank charges. So in short, basically, people use our product. It's a free product to use when they transact on it, whether it's on a credit card or a foreign exchange transaction, we make money. When I say premium, we then have paid subscription tiers. So people can then opt to pay monthly fees for the service. And what we do in exchange is we lower those transactional fees. So again, using FX as the example, you can pay to have your FX rate lowered from 0.5 to 0.25%. And the reason that we do that is ultimately, we actually want to offer a transaction fee free service to companies. But obviously, for us to make money, we have to charge some type of monthly fee. So it enables you know really small companies to use Loop that just want to try it out or test it out. They don't have to pay anything to do it. We just take it earn a small percentage of their transactions. And then for medium size or larger companies that want to use the product, we can give them that global banking experience that's essentially transaction fee free. So they can be sure that they're always getting the best rate when they're transacting internationally. And in exchange, we have a you know, monthly fee that they basically pay to use our product. So that was going to be my next question, but you sort of answered it. Is that what kind of companies like the transaction fee versus the monthly? And I guess that's based on the amount of volume they're going to be doing and what they project over the next X amount of months, right? For sure. I mean, it's a relatively like simple ROI analysis, particularly for yeah. a larger company. Because if you're doing a certain amount of transactions, it makes sense to just pay us X dollars a month and not pay any fees on that, right? But if you're you know, a startup or a new business, you're maybe just doing $50,000 of revenue. In that case, our free model makes sense because it's like the percentage that we're going to actually earn on that is, is relatively small and it's low risk for the customer. But as that customer grows, then that becomes $5 million of revenue and a large portion of that may be converted across currencies. At that point, it definitely makes sense for that business to transition to paying a fixed monthly fee in exchange for paying them a fixed monthly fee. They're basically getting guaranteed that they're getting the best rate. What kind of companies are getting the most value out of using your solution, like size companies or industry type of companies? Yeah, I mean, we work with a lot of companies that are in the e-commerce and software space. And the reason for that is you would expect that many of those types of companies operate cross-border. So, you know, for example, a lot of Shopify sellers or Amazon sellers that are based in Canada are likely to sell in some market like the U.S. just simply because it's a much bigger market or Europe or, or the U.K., so we find that like, those types of companies are kind of naturally, you know, from the day they start their business, selling around the world. So this problem that I, I was talking about like kind of exists for those companies from the onset of when they get set up. So we tend to kind of work with companies that are more global by nature or by default, as they would say. We're not exclusively working with those types of companies. So we do have you know some other businesses that might be in more traditional industries, but just happen to have a you know international component to what they do. But I'd say you know we definitely tend to focus more on the e-commerce, CPG brand, agency, software companies as like kind of the main markets that we work with. So slightly different industry mix than in the old lending business. I also imagine probably a bit different in size, you know, in, in lending to small businesses, as businesses get a little bigger, 
they get more credit access from traditional sources. And usually, therefore, small business lending outfits end up skewing towards really smaller companies that are, are the most poorly served by the banks. In this case, these feel like multi-currency problems are are kind of across all sizes of business, yeah. probably dealing with maybe the bigger companies are getting slightly better deals through their commercial banks. But does this appeal to like pretty big businesses too? Or are you starting to see like your average customer size really grow? We definitely are seeing an increasing size of customer at the moment, which is as expected for the points you just mentioned, right? So even medium-sized businesses still have this problem. And the problem set might be a little bit different. Maybe they have a U.S. account because they've gotten to a size of maturity where they were able to get a bank relationship in the U.S., but it's not integrated into the rest of what they do. And so there's still a lot of pain, friction, manual accounting that has to be done associated with that. So what we see is like as, you, as we go a little bit more on market, we tend to solve a kind of more dynamic problem set for these companies, right? Like being able to reconcile expenses, be able to set like, you know, payment approval rules on their payments, which because what they're doing in many cases in other markets is not fully baked or built out, they have a lack of access to, to services. So absolutely, you know, answering your question, we definitely see like on average with this line of business, the size of company is a lot larger on average than a typical lending customer because some of these customers may have a bank facility, right? Like they might have like a large line of credit with a financial institution. We're not competing with that at all. Like we're happy for them to have that line of credit or export financing or whatever it is that they have, but we're helping with kind of the the treasury and day-to-day management of their finances. You know, I'd, I'd really like to learn a bit about how you guys went about doing the partnerships with companies and specifically banks in the U.S. and in other markets, right? A lot of times the barriers to doing business with, with financial institutions like that is they're so large that they're looking for a minimum return of X, which is usually significantly yeah. high. Is it with you guys? Is it because you're offering part of their service? There's not a high integration. What is it that helped you? really land this many client partners in different countries? Our strategy has been to partner with like more regional providers. So like smaller financial institutions. And the reason for that is obviously like just more less of a size and balance to what you're saying. But also I think they have more of an appreciation and understanding for these pain points that like a lot of small businesses have, whereas the, the bigger ones may not have the same level of appreciation. So yeah, the partners that we work with, like from a banking perspective, tend to be like more mid-sized institutions because they can get to actually understand what the problem is. And they may have seen like, oh yeah, I did have you know, a customer that I worked with. Someone, a relationship manager might say like that, that I was actually operating cross border and they had these exact problems. Whereas like it's probably, that's quite removed from the decision makers at a, at a large financial institution. You know, that feedback may not even get all the way up to them or probably doesn't. Whereas at a, at a mid-sized player, like they, they're kind of more acutely aware that they can't service them, right? Because I think the attitude, you know, maybe to say that a little bit differently, the attitude at large FIs tends to be like, oh, we service everyone perfectly. Like, don't worry about it. Like, we, yeah. we know how to service SMBs. I get the mid-sized FIs, they kind of understand what they do well and what they don't do well. And so they're more open to partnering with people like us who, where they recognize that we, we can do a service in terms of providing better technology and products to to those end businesses. Maybe talk a little bit about how you went about building the business in terms of the founding team, the capital raising journey, whether you took on, you know, institutional venture or whether it was, uh, you know, individual investors and, and how'd you sort of build the business? We are a venture-backed 
business. So we've, we've raised venture capital through the journey of, of building out Loop. So I, I kind of spoke a little bit about like the pivot that we made. So we originally kind of were in, in the lending business. Uh, and then as we were kind of figuring out how do we get from where we are now to that end state vision that we want to get to, the team we had was really excited and passionate about supporting small businesses. So I think the vision and mission, while it kind of like the path of the journey, as I said, might have changed or, or been tweaked slightly, the end goal of being able to support SMBs has not changed or, or wavered. And I think we're able to keep that core team intact as we're kind of moving forward and building out like the next phase of our journey at Loop. So that's been really great because I think it kind of told, it's a testament to, you know, unwavering support of the small business ecosystem. Like, you know, that is like our mission and, and that's never changed. Sometimes you have to adjust, adjust your journey along the way. And that's kind of yeah, a little bit of the story as to kind of like how, how we move from, from running Loop into Loop. And I guess in terms of, you know, how we, how we brought it to market, we were actually, you know, brought our product originally to market with uh, with a relatively small team. So we launched when we launched Loop, uh, there were about eight people working on the team. Uh, we're now up to about uh, just over twenty people. So we've grown quite a bit since we launched the product. But we were able to do uh, quite a lot with with a few resources to to get Loop up and running and actually validate that it was a problem that that many companies had. Customer acquisition is always tricky with small business. You're kind of in a niche spot. You can't use mass marketing strategies that work in consumer, but also the average customer lifetime value might not be that big because it's a small business at the end of the day. So how did you solve around that? How have you figured out a way to scale your customer acquisition? We do have a lot of partnerships. So we work with a lot of other people that are in the ecosystem and they refer customers to us. Like, you know, there's a lot of people who work with small businesses and they recognize that those businesses can't get access to basic tools like credit cards or bank accounts. And so those are kind of like interesting and unique like referral opportunities whereby like we can work with different vendors and service providers for them to refer out a product like ours that is non-competitive at all. So that's kind of like one thing is partnerships is definitely like an important strategy for us. Word of mouth has been huge as well because our product is really unique and like there isn't anyone else who offers multi-currency banking or global banking. We definitely got a lot of just like organic referrals from from some of the early adopters of our product, which is which has been really big for us. What we're really focusing on at the moment, because we offer a free to use product, is just making the experience of you signing up and using our product as low friction as possible. So we can get people in the door to try it. Because what I would say is that like once people once someone signs up and uses Loop, it's a bit different than a lending product where lending has like a two-stage qualification to it. You want the customer, but then you have to check that you can actually work with that customer. In our case, we're just trying to make it as seamless as possible for that customer to be able to use our service. So it's not about, you know, like get somebody to apply and then run a kind of a process to kind of like get them in the door or engage them and, and qualify them. In our case, it's really just about like, how do we get them to get access to a bank account, a credit card, you know, FX as quickly as possible? Because once people are in the door, the product kind of really shows the magic of itself in a way, right? It really shows people like the value once people start to use it. So that's kind of our goal, and at least in terms of our user journey, is like just get people to to try it out because people hate their banks. Like, you know, MPS scores with banks are like one of the lowest industries in the market. So getting people to make that initial bet on us is kind of the main thing that we're trying to solve for from a customer acquisition perspective. And then once you're an integral part of their treasury infrastructure, then I imagine that they tend to be pretty sticky from that point forward. 
yeah, once once we have customers kind of using us, not only are they sticky, the other thing that is really powerful about our product is that we tend to see them use more and more of our product. So we have, like, as I mentioned, we do accounts, we do accounts payable, we do accounts receivable, we do foreign exchange, we have workflows and integrations and other things that people that companies can use as part of their journey with us. So what we really find is that like once somebody uses one of those products, they're very likely to use the next one and the next one. So it's not, one, it's sticky, but it actually drives more and more value both for us and for the customer over time. What was the secret sauce behind being able to offer something that no one else has been able to offer yet in the market? Is it you guys were able to overcome some of the regulations and find ways around it to make it easier? Or was it you just had stronger partnerships. Like, how did you get to a point to offer something that others haven't been able to? Yeah, I think it's a combination of a few different factors. Sometimes it is just pure like grit, determination, and creativity to be able to try and do something new. And and that's something that I've definitely learned through my career. Is like the fact that something has never been done is definitely not an indicator that it cannot be done, right? And I think that's just kind of like a personal. Right? Like I really believe that if there's a better way to do things, like there's a way to make it happen. I think like, you know, more directly, there have been other service providers who have gotten, you know, a lot of success over the last five, ten years. People like Revolut in, in Europe, right, or N twenty six, who have had like quite a lot of success doing similar things more on the consumer side, but where like this idea of like travel cards, multi-currency cards has worked successfully. So I think that's gotten banks and you know the card networks a lot more familiar with that as a concept. So I also think there's also a timing element to it, right? Which is like, if you probably went and tried to explain this in 2010, they would have been like, multi-currency, what? Like, what does that even mean? Why are you trying to do this? Why should we allow you to do this? But, you know, having seen other people made big strides in the consumer space, it was a less of a leap to say, like, can we adapt this thing that already exists, but make it work in a business setting? Another example of consumer financial services making its way over to business. Let's talk about the future. What do you see in the next few years for your business? I mean, our goal is to be the be-all, end-all service provider for businesses when it comes to finances. So what that means is like, we want to replace the 10 other service providers that companies currently use to manage their finances. So you may have a credit card company, an accounts receivable company, accounts payable company, an accounting provider, an expense management provider, you know, local account provider, your EFT provider. So there's all these different people that exist in this ecosystem. And for companies that we work with, we want to make it really easy for them to do their business because the more services you have to you use, the more expensive it is and the more time consuming it is. So our goal is like, how do we just make a loop a platform where people can manage all their finances really simply in one place? And the best place for us to be is a customer doesn't even think about us. We just make all these things happen magically in the background so they can focus on building and growing their company. That's ultimately like where we want to get to. So a lot of that is product iteration and, and evolution. And that also means, you know, launching new products. And some of those products might be built by us, but some of those products might be built through partnerships, right? So there might be some things where we say like, hey, we're probably not best positioned to do this or or build this product, right? Like insurance, lending products, like things like that, that have quite a lot of complexity to them. We might just say like, okay, can we partner with others? Can we work with others to make those solutions available to the customers that we service because it's just a lot easier to deploy those markets and get them products and get them to market. 
So, you know, definitely thinking about product expansion and really fundamentally how Loop kind of create an experience that is as low friction as possible for the SMB. One of the products you mentioned was accounting system. Is that a partner or a build? This is just my personal opinion. It's very difficult to disintermediate accounting platforms because they're so integrated into a lot of workflows that a company does. So we're more likely to integrate with so like the accounting system almost happens or the accounting happens automatically through that platform versus trying to build our own accounting system. I think it's unlikely we see a world where like we build loop accounting, but can we build something whereby like whoever you're using, whether it's QuickBooks or Xero or NetSuite or Dynamics, right? Whereby if you're using that product with loop, you have to do very little. It kind of just all seamlessly flows together, which is not how it works with banks right now. Like with banks, you're doing manual data exports, you're doing data transformation, and you basically got to hire somebody internally or externally to manage that. But because we have this first-party transactional data, we can definitely offer that in a more seamless way, but we're more likely to go the integration route versus like the, the build-it-ourselves one. We usually like to wrap this up with a pretty vague question and get your thoughts on it. You're looking back 10 years from now. What do you hope to have seen happen either with your company or just, you know, in Canadian fintech in general that you think would be good for everybody? I love that question because I really think the future of business, what I've been saying throughout the journey of building belief is that the future of business is global. More and more companies every year get set up globally and on the internet. And that means being set up with the intention to work with customers all around the world. And so the future of business being global, the future of banking and finance also has to be global too, to go along with it. So, you know, I, I hope 10 years out, we see a world where there isn't a concept of borders when it comes to either business or banking. Companies can just manage all of their finances and all of their company operations across the different company, countries that they do business in seamlessly in one place. And that's not only going to be loop that enables that, like there's going to be many different service providers across the value chain to make that happen. But if I start a business in 10 years, I would hope that it's as easy to start my business, get a bank account and sell to customers in Canada, as it is for me to do that anywhere else in the world. Love that answer, Kato. I spent you know 10 years in export financing and talking to companies trying to do that. So that would be a really exciting space for everybody, for sure. Fascinating vision. And yeah, it reminds me of John Lennon's uh, Imagine. Countries and borders just seem so silly in some ways, right? Yeah. It's been a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks a lot for joining us. Thanks for everyone for tuning in. And until next time, this was Fintrepreneur. Fintrepreneur.